0: Well, good morning. I'm Tim Rogers, lead pastor here at um, GPC. Thank you so much for being here this morning. And if you're an online listener, thank you for listening later online. I'm grateful to have you here. Um, great to see you again. Uh, it's always a joy to be back here in the place I call home. Uh, thank you for the time away. Last week, our family uh, had a good refresher together, and thank you to Greg, especially who obviously can't be here this morning, still with Tanya in the hospital, but um, those who were here or listened to that message, um, I think you were really encouraged by a very authentic message, Um, someone who's walking through a journey and sharing some pretty incredible insights. So grateful to my friend and our elder here at the church, Greg, for leading us that way. Well, it is Advent season, and uh, for the church, that means that we are anticipating the coming of... This baby, Jesus the Messiah. And of course we know being on this side of uh, the cross that Jesus did in fact come. But Advent is the Latin term that means coming. The anticipation of the coming of Messiah. And I hope that you have been able to experience and enjoy so far these uh, Advent guides that we have given to you in your mailbox, or if you don't have one in a box and you're not sure what a mailbox is, we can get you a mailbox, or you can also grab one of these things on the Welcome Center on the way out as a daily Advent guide for you. Our family walks through that personally and have to explain some things as we walk through that, which is fine, but it is a good opportunity for us to kind of orient as a family around the coming of our Savior. So these are our gift to you if you don't have them. But it's Advent season, and as such, we're in a new series, a four-part series for Advent called string the lights, uh, which I'm going to explain what that means in a minute and how that works. But here's what I want to do this morning. I want to try to convince you of just one thing this morning. I want to try to convince you of one thing. And here's the challenge for me, is that this one thing, I think I convince you in your mind easier than I can convince you in your experience. I can convince you it's true in your mind, I believe, but I'm not sure I'm going to be able to convince you in your experience or in your heart or in your feet that this is actually true. Okay, so that's my cards on the table. I want to tell you one thing, try to convince you of one thing, and I want you to fight back with me on it, because only in the fighting on it is it maybe going to embrace, right, in in your heart. So, in order to get there, I want to tell you about something that happened to me uh, a few months ago. Uh, I'm going to say it was in the month of July. It might have been earlier than that. Um, Jen, my wife, would tell me better what it was, probably could tell me right now, but let's just pick on July. July uh, 15th, uh, I was looking at the calendar on our um, refrigerator, and it's a full, like, printed calendar right in print and I was looking at the the date July 15 and all of a sudden um, the date disappeared like I could no longer see the little box on the calendar that I was looking at and I realized I also couldn't see uh, the 14th or the 16th or whatever was above it maybe the 8th is that close is that right I'm done with the math uh, in this moment, all of a sudden, there were blind spots in my vision directly in front of me, and I could see to the left or the right, I could see the 10th or whatever, I could see the 12th, I could see the uh, 18th or whatever, but I couldn't see things that were right in front of me. And I thought, well, that's weird, but I'll just kind of blink it off, right, just kind of like shake it off or whatever. And I kind of kept blinking a little bit. It didn't go away. I got a text from somebody, I picked up my phone to look at it, and I couldn't see the text unless I did one of these things out of my peripheral vision and could kind of read the text. So for a couple minutes it felt weird. It kind of felt like someone took a flash bulb and shot it off in my eyes directly, like they just kind of surprised me and said, Tim, I turned around and they flashed a bright bulb in front of me, and I was kind of blind like that. So after it went on for about 10 or 15 minutes and I couldn't shake it, I began to get really nervous because it felt like to me uh, the potential of a detached retina. And so I called my eye doctor and I told him what was going on. And they told me so delightfully, okay, you need to hang up the phone with us and call the retinal specialist because if your vision can be saved, they're the ones to do it. Great, great. Thank you for that awesome news. So they were panicking a little bit. And so when the doctors panic, right, it begins to make me panic a little bit. So I call the retinal specialist, we get in and go through the retinal deal. By the time I get to the retinal specialist, just a couple hours later, um, my vision had returned and a headache had ensued. So we talked about it, the retinal specialist, me through all kinds of litany tests, essentially diagnosed me with an ocular migraine. Some of you have had these before, and that is this phenomenon of a blood vessel um, tightening up or kinking up in your brain, kind of like a hose gets kinked, and the, the blood supply doesn't come to the ocular nerve, and therefore it results in blind spots in your vision. Some of you have had this experience. I did not have that experience before, and here's what happened to me. As I come out of that eye doctor, come out of the retinal specialist, um, and I get a diagnosis, and it gets explained to me, and I understand what's going on, and I'm told what to do, and now if that comes on, and by the way, it has. It has actually come on on a Saturday evening before I spoke here on a Sunday morning, and I've spoken with the, to you with a bit of a fog in my brain because I get a migraine for about 24 to 36 hours after the kink releases and the blood comes rushing back into my brain, I have a pretty massive headache for a little while. But here's what I know now because of the doctors, that if I take migraine medicine early enough, I can get ahead of it, and that can help, and then I need to just rest a little bit. And I'll tell you this, I'm grateful to be living in a world where there's medicine. I'm grateful to be living in a world where there are doctors who know what they're doing. And aren't you? Like, I would not want to go back in time to live in a world where we do not have medical advancements the way we do now. And I tell you all of that to tell you this. As I was thinking about this reality in my life, and this is a minor, minor issue, by the way, compared to what many of you deal with, but it is simply proving this point, that wouldn't it be great if for all of the things in life that were a struggle, that were a hardship, that were a temptation, that were shame, that were guilt, that were failure, that were disappointments, if we could pop a pill from a doctor to make those things go away. Wouldn't it be great if we had medicine that not only cleared up our vision and not only made us feel better, but medicine that also helped us with the things in life that are actually the things that really work us over? And here's the good news for us: that this medicine actually does exist, and it's very explicit and clear in the scriptures. And here's what we read in the Psalm, in Proverbs seventeen twenty two: A joyful heart is good medicine. But a crushed spirit dries up the bones. A joyful heart, Solomon writes, is good medicine. Take one of these in the morning and your headache will go away. But a crushed spirit dries up the bones. When the weight of life and the pressure of life and the anxiety of life and the to-do list and all of the stuff of life weighs heavy on your spirit and there isn't a joy in the heart, your life becomes dry. You have felt that. I have felt that. But a joyful heart is good medicine. And so if this is true, this is what I want for you. And, and listen, I want it for me too. Like I want to have a heart that is joyful because I think it actually is good medicine to take. But here's this reality that I've faced as I was preparing for this series and thinking about how best to frame up an Advent series. Here's a question I asked myself, and I didn't like the answer. So I, want you, I just want to open up my heart again to you a little bit this morning. I asked the question, if people who knew me best could use five adjectives to describe me, would they put the word joyful in their list? What if I gave them ten adjectives? Would the word joyful make it in the top ten, the things that people know me best? Would they describe me with the word joyful in any of those top ten? And I didn't like the answer to that question because I don't think the answer is Yes. And I thought to myself, well, self, what do I do if this is true? I don't like this. I don't think that this is how people would describe me. And I thought, here's what I think. I do not believe that if I wait until I'm older, joy will automatically come. Like, I don't think there's going to be another phase of life where only, hey, when you're older or you have less stress or you have less worries or another season or whatever, like, that joy is somewhere over the horizon once you get through the stress of this moment. I don't believe that's true. I also don't believe that that joy is related to personality. I'm a little more introverted. Some are more extroverted. And the introverted folks in the room or listening can feel like the extroverted people got their first in line when God was handing out joy from heaven. Right? Like, they got all of it. The rest of us did not get any. And they're joyful and happy. And the rest of us are just realistic. Right? You know, that's kind of the way that is. But it's not true, like, I don't want to use that as an excuse and just say, well, too bad my personality, right, is what it is, because they get to have all the joy, and and I don't. I think that's just a flat-out excuse, and so I don't think that joy will come later automatically, and I don't think it's related to my personality, and so I have to face up to the reality that joy becomes something very personal for me that I need to own and figure out. God, if I'm not being joyful, what in the world is going on? And so I wanted to come up, with an answer to that myself. And this series is my process of working this through in my own life and laying it out to you and inviting you to walk this journey with me. And I'm calling it String the Lights, and here's why. This series title relates to some of the things that I'm learning about joy. The reason I call this thing String the Lights is this, that what good is a Christmas tree without lights? Like, Isn't it true that a a dark tree in a dark room even if it's decorated beautifully, it's still missed and overlooked. It's only when we decorate the tree and then turn the lights on that we step back and are like, ah, oh, that looks good. It's the last thing that we do and we recognize, man, the lights create beauty in the midst of darkness. And so here's the first thing. There's two big things about joy that are going to run through this series. This is not the one thing I want to convince you of, but this is two things that are going to run through the series. That, that joy is best seen in the hardest and darkest moments in our lives. Joy is best seen in contrast to darkness. And so joy and suffering are going to run parallel in all of our lives just the way that that is going to work. But joy makes sense and is best seen in the hardest of times, just like light is best seen in darkness. Joy does not exist when there's only joy around. I don't get joy because everything is happy around me all of a sudden. No, joy is best seen in darkness, which is going back even to Greg's message from last Sunday. We see that in his message as well. The second thing about joy that I want to emphasize is this, that you have the choice whether to string the lights or not. You have the choice on your Christmas tree whether you put them on or not. You have the choice on your tree whether you turn them on or not. And this is the true reality of joy that I need to face, is that I am only as joyful as I choose to be, regardless of circumstances. And so if I'm not happy with the answer to the question, will the people around me who know me best list joyful as one of the top five things about my life? If I'm not happy about that, the answer to that comes down to, Joy becomes a choice that you make and that I make on a consistent basis. Just like the choice to string the lights or not string the lights. Okay? So, these are two big realities that I'm going to run through in the series on joy. Now, today, what I want to do is kind of walk through what in the world does joy even mean and then try to explain one key thing and then have you react to that, if you will. All right. So, here's what we're going to do. As I think about joy and trying to define joy... Um, I began to ask the question, what does it even look like to experience joy? And for most of us, we'd say that we have um, joyful experiences that we can feel, like um, the laugh of a toddler or the... uh, unsuppressable giggle of a small child. Like, how fun is that, right? That just will not stop. I mean, it's not fun when you're trying to, when you're the parent and you're in a moment where they shouldn't be laughing like that. But how cool is that, though, to see the joy in a small child or the the joy of, you know, if you're a beach person walking out in the sunrise on the beach, you know, it's awesome for you and you get this kind of sense of joy. If you're a hunter, like getting out there and you're loving this time of year, the joy that comes with that. You know, if you're, uh, just got engaged in me, you don't even have to call that joy. You just know what that is. It's a beautiful thing. Incredible joys, like these moments in life that you know. Maybe you're a person who likes to read a book under a blanket on a rainy day, and that just like brings some warmth to you. I guess it's great. So we have these moments that we know that we cannot just leap from one piece of joy to the next. We have these moments of real life in between. So when we think about joy. If I think that the only way that I can experience joy is to have those moments, then I'm going to miss what joy really is. Because we can't, and no one can, just jump from one to the next to the next to the next. You just can't do that. Joy doesn't work that way. So I began to think. Um, is joy something that has been created by me creating environments or is joy endowed by our creator? Is joy something that I just manufacture? I only experience joy when I get to go on vacation or when I get to go to the beach or when I get to see a kid giggle or when I get to read a book on a rainy day. Is that all the joy is? It's made up. It's created by me. Or is it something that is created by my creator that I get to experience in fullness in those moments? What, which one is that? And then... Is this something, is joy something that's shared across generations and across cultures? Like, are the oldest people in here and the youngest people in here wanting to experience joy? And I'd say the answer is yes. I'd say even for generations before even we stand out, people have always wanted to and have experienced joy. And is it true across cultures? Absolutely. Every culture that I know of experiences and wants to experience joy and fullness of life. I ask, do introverts and extroverts both experience joy? Yes, in their own way. And then is this some kind of high and noble thought that we want to pursue? Like, do we want to get after this as people? Yes. As I began to think about this, I thought, you know, joy is not just something that we create and make up, but rather something that is endowed or given to us by our creator. And So I tried to define and get my hands around joy. So this is my personal working definition of joy. And you can agree, disagree, whatever you want to do with it. But here's my working definition of joy I'm going to try to explain. The joy is... God's design for humanity to take delight in him and what he has made. That's my simple definition of joy. That joy is, first of all, God's design for humanity to take delight in him and what he has made. That's how I see joy. And I want to explain that and walk through that a little bit uh, this morning. That joy becomes not something that we um, make up, but something in our makeup. Right. Does that make sense? It's not something we create, but something given to us by our creator. That joy is God's design. When you think about, think about kids for a minute, you know, two, three, four-year-olds, toddlers, um, how, many, how many embittered two- or three-year-olds do you know? For the long haul, not just for the short term, like when they don't get what they want, I get the embittered and frustrated, but for the long haul, how many like embittered two- or three-year-olds, how many embittered adults do you know? Don't answer that question. Don't look. Don't nudge. Don't do anything. Keep that one to yourself, right? So, and we think about kids who are two or three years old. They have yet to experience the pain of life. And so, everything is what? Fun, joyful. It's experience. It's an adventure. I mean, I don't know. Let's try it. Let's see what happens with the glue. What happens with the toilet paper? What happens with the mayonnaise? What happens with the flour in the kitchen? I mean, you'll just try it all. And it's all kind of fun. And you don't know that it's wrong until mom or dad are like, what are you doing? Like, I don't know. Just experimenting. Like, they're having fun. Like, they're just built for that. It's the way kids are. Where does that come from? Why is that true for every kid? Every kid. In every part of the world. Is that just coincidence? Or is there something there that is designed and put there by a creator? See, in Genesis 1:31, God declares about his creation. After he made Adam and, Eden, Adam and Eve, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. Now, I don't know what category you put joy in, but I put joy in the very good category. I put that in the category of things that are very good, and I believe that God has designed this in us from the very beginning, and part of the reason I say that is not only is a part of creation, I believe, but part of the Genesis passage, but I also look in the New Testament. When Paul uh, was writing in the book of Galatians, chapter 5, he wrote about something called um, the fruit of the Spirit. Many of you know what that is, some may not, and it's fine. The fruit of the Spirit are those things that, as the Spirit of God, who Christians believe is God himself, as God himself lives in us and matures us, God draws us back to what we were made to experience. He draws us into fullness of humanity. The fruit of the Spirit become the things that get exemplified or modeled in our life that show that we are going to become more like what God has made us to be. And the fruit of the Spirit, some of you have this memorized, either from a song or just because you memorize this passage, but Galatians 5 says this, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I believe that joy is one of those things, even because it's identified as a fruit or a result of the Spirit working in us, that joy is, boom, hardwired into the fabric of humanity and into the fabric of you and into the fabric of me, that we were designed by God as humans to experience joy and that the Spirit of God works in us to move us further along toward love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, all of it, but also to joy. This becomes important. I'm going to tell you why this matters more in a minute. So here's what I think. God designed us. He made us as humans to experience joy. And then what he did is he put us in this world in which we experience the world one day at a time. I don't know if you ever thought about this before. We experience the world one day at a time. We think about the past as things that we can learn from, the future as things that we can you know, achieve and go for, and envision and dream. But we really can only experience the world one day at a time, in the present, in the moment, boom, one day at a time. And here's what we know about what God has done with every day. The psalmist tells us in Psalm 118, verse 24, that this is the day the Lord has made, and the call is to let us rejoice, or there's a word In Hebrew, to find joy. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. So here's what I I want to tell you. Here's what I believe. God has made us as humans. That's my soldering gun sound. Is there a better sound that you can make? Anyway. Okay, hardwired joy. Like, took joy off the shelf and put it in us. And he created a day, and he kind of like took us and dropped us into a day. And every day that he makes... The call is rejoice in the day in which you are living. Like, in the environment of this day, let us find joy, rejoice, and be glad in it. So, you're made for joy. I'm going to give you a day to experience. And in this day, today, Sunday, December 3rd, rejoice in this day. And then, in the days in which we live... We don't just happen to wake up and live in an ethereal, philosophical, like, cloud day where we're not really touching real things or eating real food or talking to real people or watching the Eagles beat the Seahawks later tonight, right? Like, we're doing all these things in reality that make up our day and our fun and our enjoyment. Here's what I believe. God made us hardwire joy in us, put us in a day, and then gave us all things in that day for our enjoyment. We read that in First Timothy chapter 6. Here's what uh, Paul wrote. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our joy, enjoyment. Same word, for our enjoyment. And so here's the train of thought one more time. Back to the soldering gun for a minute. Hardwired for joy. We are made for joy boom, God dropped us in a day we can take one day at a time, built for us to rejoice in him. And then in the things that we experience in that day, he has given us everything to experience for our enjoyment. And so when you have lunch in a little bit, allow yourself to enjoy the lunch and thank the creator God for how he has made that food to allow those taste buds to react the way they do. When you have your, your drink over lunch or whatever it is, Thank God, the creator, for what he has allowed you to enjoy. When you have your fun time with your family, you reflect on how good he has been to you in so many different ways with your kids or with the things you get to experience. Even though you get to drive the car that you get to drive or go home in the home that you get to... Like, all of these things God has given to us for our enjoyment. So here's what I believe. Again, we've been made, we have a day, we have the things in our day, all designed and all wired for our enjoyment because God... Has designed us this way. So back quick to our definition. The joy is God's design for humanity to take delight in him and what he has made. In 1 Timothy, the passage I just had up there, the command for all who are rich, by the way, which is probably most of us here in North America, especially, to, to take delight. Don't put your hope in these. Don't trust in these. Don't, don't trust in your food. Don't trust in your car. Don't trust in your wealth and your riches, but put your hope to God. But he's given you all these things for your enjoyment. Like, take delight in him as your creator and the things that he has made. It's okay to enjoy these things. It's it's okay to do that. So, let me ask this question, because this one is really what I want to get after. I want to convince you. The one thing I want to convince you of is that you are designed to experience joy. And I think that over time, we can live on this planet and feel like some have joy but I don't right now. And so I ask this question, why does it matter? Why does it matter that you believe this? Why does it matter to me that I want to convince you that this is true? Why does it matter to me that I want to convince you that you were actually made for joy? Like you were... If you leave with nothing else this morning, I want you to leave believing I am a human being who was made in the image of God, made for joy. He soldered into me joy. Why does it matter? Here's why. Because we fix or replace only what we believe is broken. You ever think about it this way? We fix or replace only what we think is broken. You're not going to replace your car if it's not broken or needs some kind of replacement or gets old and you see a newer one and there's something better about the new one. But if you think that your car is functioning totally fine, it's totally great, everyone else's car is like this, there's no compelling reason for you to change anything. Like you're only going to fix or replace or give attention to something that you think is broken. Let me illustrate it uh, this way if I can. A little bit of uh, of show and tell this morning. What I have here is a uh, cup... Christmas cup, paper cup, reindeer, pine tree, I don't know, Christmas tree. A little bit of water from the tap. Do not drink tap water at this church; it will kill you. But you can drink out of the um, can drink out of the water jugs we have around. All right, it probably won't kill you. I don't think it might. Cistern water, anyway. A cup is designed to do one thing, just to hold whatever liquid you pour into it, right? Like, that's what a cup does. And no one expected this cup to do any differently when I poured this water into this cup. That's exactly what a cup should do. When I go to a party or whatever, and I go grab a cup and pour water or whatever I pour into it, I just expect it to hold whatever in the world I pour into it. And I'm not going to walk around with this cup and think, man, I need to get a new cup. Because it's working fine. I'm not going to fix or replace what isn't broken. This thing is not broken. Works fine. It's built to do this. But here's what you don't know yet about this cup, and you know in a second. There actually is a hole in this cup that I'm covering with my thumb. And as I move my thumb, whoop, you will see that this cup actually has a leak. Isn't that dramatic? Can you hear that leaking? This to go on for a while, isn't it? All right. So, what would you do if you're at a party and you grab this cup? Can you would get another one, right? Of course you would. Because the cup isn't working. But here's the reality for us. Life pokes holes in all of us, doesn't it? As we walk along and live life, hard things happen. Disappointments, frustration, shame, guilt, disappointment of all kinds. And we all walk around with little holes poked in the side of us, and I think it's normal to be leaking a little bit. But don't get used to a cup that doesn't work. You weren't designed to leak out joy. I'm not going to fix or replace things that I don't think are broken. I'm telling you, if you are not experiencing joy, if you do not pursue joy, then that is broken. A simple cup hole reminds us we're made. We're made to hold the joy that God has put in us. And this is why it matters. Because... It matters whether we believe this, because if you don't believe that you're made to hold the water, you're not going to want to replace the cup. If you think the cup is normally leaking, there's no need to do anything else. And I'm telling you, when God made us, he put joy in us. The fruit of the Spirit is a growing sense of joy. He gave us a day in which we can experience a day for him, a day to rejoice in him. And he gave us the things of this world to experience for our enjoyment. And so why does it matter that you believe this? Because you're not going to fix it if you don't think it's broken. If you think it's normal to be somewhat pessimistic, you think it's normal to be somewhat depressed on a regular basis, if you think it's normal not to experience joy, and only the most outgoing people experience joy, you are not going to want to address the things that have caused you pain that are allowing the joy to come out of your life. And I'm telling you, you are wired, created by your creator to experience joy. And there will not be a time later where it will be easier. And it's not tied to personality. It is tied to the hand of a God who has wired you to experience joy. That is the simple, simple thing that I want to convince you of. You and I were designed for joy. And I told you, this would be easier for me to convince you in your mind than in your experience. Because your experience, if you're an adult, its probably similar to mine. There have been a lot of things in this world that have caused me pain, and have caused you pain, and have made you hesitant to rest and delight in God and what he has made. And so if that describes you, good news. You need to come back next week. Because next week we are going to see that not only does joy track throughout life, but suffering tracks at the same time. And so if you're sitting here listening and thinking, that's great that you're talking like that. Do you live in a world where there are rainbows and unicorns around every corner? And is that just who you are and what you do? the answer is no. I live in a very realistic world. I understand the pain, the suffering, the trouble, and the struggle of life. But I'm telling you, joy and suffering go hand in hand and travel together. And next week, we're going to figure out how in the world you have joy in the context of suffering and pain. But I'm telling you, and don't forget this, please. You were designed by a creator to delight in him and the things that he has made. Don't ever let go of that pursuit because it's when you ask the question, what is poking the hole in me, that you will begin to find the joy how he has made you. So I'm looking forward to the next few parts in this series. String the lights. Be glad to see you back here next week. Will you pray with me? Our good God and Heavenly Father, thank you for making us as people who are designed to experience joy, designed to experience delight in you as our Father and as our Creator, and designed to experience joy in the things that you have made around us, given us everything for our enjoyment. I pray that you would help us not to shake this truth and to really challenge ourselves with it and ask, and are there people around me who are closest to me who would describe me as joyful? And if not, what's wrong? Because something is broken if that is the case. I pray that you'd give us courage to ask, what are the things that are poking holes in my life? What are the points of stress that I worry too much about? What are the places of pain that I have not resolved? Who is it that I need to forgive that I'm holding on to in terms of bitterness? Where is it that my future hopes have been dashed and I haven't processed that at all and I feel like life has not turned out at all the way I expected it to? All of these things poke holes, drain joy and life from us. I pray that you teach us with our children how you've made humanity to be. Teach us through your spirit that you want us to experience love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Give us courage to ask, where are the holes being poked in my life? And what do I need to do to address those that we can take delight in you as our Heavenly Father and delight in the things that you have made, especially around this Christmas season where we wait for the coming so, Father, we thank you. We thank you so much that the coming King signals the coming joy to this world. That we get to sing and we get to hope and we get to prepare to make. Room in our hearts for this King who comes to deliver joy. And so may we sing with that fervor. May we live with that enthusiasm and that excitement of knowing that we do serve a God who sent a King, Joy, Jesus incarnate, to this world that we might know you and experience joy that has come to this world. Thank you for your love for us and making us the way that you have. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray.